At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 327th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Popular fertilizer for organic farmers is fish poop, and aquaponic systems use this natural resource to help create nutrient-dense growing mediums for healthy plants. Let us teach you how in a few easy steps. Just text GROWFISH to 33444 or visit IWANTTOGROWFISH.COM and you will receive our free webinar on how to grow your own fish-powered garden. Today on our podcast, we have someone who helps smallholder farmers internationally. We're talking with Robert Reeder about protecting banana crops. Robert is a plant pathologist working for the Center for Agriculture and Biosciences International, that's C-A-B-I, based in the United Kingdom. His areas of interest are in international development and management of pests and diseases of tropical crops. Having worked for CABI for nearly 25 years, he's gained extensive experience in diagnosing pests and diseases for a diverse range of tropical crops. As part of his work, he has traveled to many countries in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. His current focus is the PlantWise program, which aims to help farmers lose less of what they grow to health problems. PlantWise operates in 34 countries and works closely with the National Agriculture Advisory Services to establish and support a sustainable network of plant clinics. Welcome to the show today, Robert. Are you ready to rock? I am indeed. Hello. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Although it's been a long time I've been in Cabby, the path is a fairly straightforward one, at least for me. So I finished my, my Bachelor of Science degree at Bristol University, and then I did an MSc in crop protection. And then I was scouting around for, for work that I could do when a friend of mine mentioned Cab International as a place that I could potentially work. I saw an advert for it. I applied. The rest is history, as you say. But I've been in, in Cabby for 25 years now. Uh-huh. And originally, I started off in biocontrol of uh, tropical weeds. And since I've developed into international development and particularly managing pests and diseases of tropical crops. What is your big interest in tropical crops because that's that's a really specific place to go how did that happen it was by accident really and very fortuitous because working on temperate crops is far less interesting and also you're working in cold wet damp environments oh, so yeah, uh, working the in the case. tropics was fortuitous and that's the the area that I, that I got involved in wow cool and you're specifically working with bananas right we work with all crops. Bananas has just been one of them. We work with all pests and diseases from all 
crops and uh, that's one of the things that the plantwise program does that we that I'm involved with and so bananas being a very important fruit crop is just one of many we look at mm-hmm. and tell us about plantwise before we actually jump into the banana crop well plantwise is an international program which is being run by cabby we are active in 34 countries and we work with farmers in countries and extension agents in countries and the inter- and the governments as well and what we're trying to set up is a network of plant clinics across the country. So we really borrowed on the idea of human health. So in human health, you you have doctors, you have specialists, you have laboratories, you have research. And the same is true for plant health. And what we were trying to do is set up plant clinics in rural locations which are accessible to smallholder farmers. And so the idea is that farmers can bring along their six plants. In this case, it would be the patient's. And when they get to the plant clinic, the pest or disease problem will be diagnosed by a plant doctor who's been trained by uh, by CABI through the PlantWise program. And they'll give the, the farmer a written prescription of how to manage that pest or disease problem. Oh, this is brilliant. You know, my listeners, we've, we've done, what, 325 episodes. And my listeners know I'm always looking for epic. PlantWise is epic because what I heard you just say is you set up diagnostic clinics in third world countries, and then people can bring their stuff to you and actually get it diagnosed. That's correct. That's the, that's the basic idea. So we wanted to make extension more accessible to farmers. And so we, we take these plant clinics out into marketplaces typically. So these are places where farmers are, are normally gathering to sell their produce. So they're not having to make an extra journey. And while they're there, they can bring with them anything that's troubling them. So the plant clinics are open to any pest, any problem, which is extremely challenging as anyone who has ever looked at pests and diseases of plants can testify. Yeah. So you've actually worked at some of these plant-wise clinics before, I suspect, right? I've certainly visited and observed what's happening in these plant-wise clinics. And also in the UK, we run an international plant clinic, if you like. Uh-huh. So one of the one of the things of plant-wise is we are open ourselves to help the developing countries diagnose pest and disease problems, which are, are difficult ones, the ones mm-hmm. that they can't solve locally. And yes, certainly I go to these countries and, I, and I'll sit at the plant clinics and I'll observe what's going on. Also, we train the extension agents so they are better at diagnosing pests and diseases and better at giving advice to the farmers on how to manage these problems. Wow, how cool is that? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a curveball at you here. And I want you to kind of think about your visits to these, you know, the plant-wise clinics. And is there one farmer that maybe stands out that had a huge difference made for them? I don't think I could necessarily put my finger on on one farmer in particular. I mean, sometimes we get to hear success stories when the farmers come back and they're very pleased with the advice that has been given. And often they will bring a bag of fruit or a bag of produce with them as a thanks for the advice that they were given. The trouble is I, I only ever dip into these countries. I'm not often there long enough right. to necessarily catch up on those stories. Okay, all good. I just figured I'd ask. <laughs> so let's jump into bananas. Why are bananas under threat at this point? Well, bananas, along with lots of crop plants, are under threat from pests and diseases. The reason that bananas are particularly threatened is their lack of genetic diversity. Mm. Because we've taken the bananas, we've taken a particular clone that we were were fond of, the Cavendish variety. And because bananas don't produce seed anymore, they are parthenogenic, mm-hmm. so they, they don't need to be fertilized. The only way to reproduce those is vegetatively, so taking a cutting, taking a sucker, or by using tissue culture. 
and we've been very effective at doing this. We selected the one variety that we were particularly fond of, the Cavendish variety, and we have multiplied this and spread it across, across the world. All of these banana plants are genetically identical and therefore any pest and disease which can overcome mm-hmm. the resistance of one individual can overcome all of them. Yeah. Well, and, you know, on one hand, that's a brilliant way to produce a good tasting, consistent crop, correct? Indeed, a very good way. So every, every plant is the same. However, you lay yourself open then to disease, pest and disease problems. And, and so, as I said, as soon as the resistance is overcome, all of the plants are susceptible to pests and diseases. Right. And th- this is actually a worldwide problem, not just with bananas, I suspect. Yeah, this is a problem. I mean, it's particularly acute in bananas because of the biology of the organism, because it's vegetative re- reproduced. Mm-hmm. Other crops which are produced by seed, there's sexual reproduction going on, and you get a much more of a mixing of genes. Mm, Therefore, you right. have much more resistance to pests and diseases. So in particular, banana, because it's this clonal produced crop, it's particularly under threat because there are now pests and diseases out there which have overcome the resistance, and they're also on the move. Wow. So what are we dealing with on the banana end? Well, there's several pests and diseases of banana, which are extremely damaging. One of the biggest ones that's been in the news of late is a a fungal disease called Panama wilt. And in fact, this disease was responsible for us having our love affair with the Cavendish variety because it wiped out a previous variety, Gros Michel, which was grown in Central America. Mm. So the disease got into the country and effectively you couldn't grow bananas anymore. So one of the solutions to this back in the 50s when the disease was wiping out the bananas was to find a resistant variety. And that variety that that was found was Cavendish. And since then, Cavendish now is responsible for about 47% of all bananas which are sold commercially. Uh And so for many years, we've been very happy with the control and the resistance offered by the Cavendish variety. However, there is now a new race of this fungus called tropical race four which is developed in indonesia and is on the move and this particular uh, race can overcome the resistance of the cavendish variety plus many others wow in fact it's estimated that this new variety this new race can infect roughly about 80 percent of all the varieties of bananas that we use for export wow so this is this pretty much the same disease that we were having problems with in the 50s, and now we're having problems with it in the Cavendish? Exactly. So in the 50s, it wiped out the banana production in uh, Central America, mm-hmm. and it's exactly the same disease, but a new race of it. Wow. So this particular fungus lives in the soil, and it gets in through the roots, and it will kill the banana plants. Wow. Well, that could kill our appetite for bananas, I would think. It certainly could. And so it's a big it's a big threat. So as I said, it started off in, in Asia. It started off in Taiwan mm-hmm. and it's been on the move. So it's moved now into the it's moved to the Philippines, to Pakistan, to Lebanon. In uh, 2013, it, it was detected for the first time in Africa, in Mozambique. And since then, also in Laos and Vietnam. So it's starting to move. It's realistically only a matter of time before it does get to to Central America, where it's going to cause lots of problems. Well, how's it traveling? Well, the disease can be be transmitted in soil and also in planting materials. Uh 
So the globalization, people moving, transporting goods and themselves around the world is how it's thought to be moving. Because it only takes somebody to be walking on infected soil in a particular country to come back with dirt on their shoes. And that's a potential route. Wow. So it's that, what word am I looking for? Perseverant? It's that virile. That's the better word for it. It's that virile? It can be. So you, you you get the spore surviving the soil. And again, with this fungus, once it gets into the soil, it's very difficult to control because it can live in the soil on its own without its host, and it can live for decades. So once it's in the soil, it's virtually impossible to eradicate it. So then it's a case of managing. So the whole point about biosecurity and quarantine and preventing it from reaching the country in the first place becomes very critical because it's extremely difficult to manage once it gets into a country. Right. So you've mentioned the word biosecurity a couple of times. Can you tell us about that? Well, biosecurity really is taking the crops that we take for granted very seriously Mm -hmm. and the fact that pests and diseases can be extremely damaging to them. So many countries like Australia, is a very good example where they take biosecurity extremely seriously. So when you, if you've ever been to the airport or a port of entry at Australia, they are very careful to make sure that you're not bringing in fruit. They check your shoes, make sure you haven't got soil on them. So they take their biosecurity extremely seriously. Mm. And other countries need to do the same. And of course, it's much more of a challenge in developing countries right. where they don't have the infrastructure to be able to do this effectively. Wow. So We have an issue here in the desert Southwest called citrus greening disease. The state has basically been put under quarantine by our our USDA, uh, U.S. Department of Ag, to, you know, we're on lockdown here in the state for shipping citrus in and out. And that's, so when you say biosecurity, that's really what you're speaking to. That's what you need. You need to have quarantine. You need to inspect produce coming into the country. And if you've detected a pest or disease, then you need to make sure that that produce isn't being transported freely across boundaries, depending on how it actually actually moves. Of course, we're we're lucky in some respects with uh, banana wilt Mm -hmm. caused by a fusarium because it's a soil-borne pathogen. Now, if you take insect pests, for example, which are mobile on their own, then that's much more challenging. So, in fact, the Americas have exported one of their pests to Africa recently. And so just just last year, there's been an outbreak of a moth called fall armyworm, and that's come from the Americas this time to Africa. And that's causing all sorts of problems for maize production in Africa. Yeah, we have that issue here. I grew some corn here at the urban farm. The urban farm is my house. It's right in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona. There's not corn within 20 miles of here. And I planted 10 rows of corn in my backyard a few years ago, and the armory worms just decimated it. Yeah. They, they are phenomenally mobile. They can fly hundreds of kilometers. And this is the problem now that they've got into Africa. Because they are so mobile, they don't need a passport. They don't respect boundaries. They are spreading across the continent. Yeah. So what can be done for the banana challenge? Well, there's, there's several ways we can try to manage the problem. The first one is quarantine and biosecurity, as we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Countries need to work together and policymakers and research all need to come together to to take uh, biosecurity and quarantine seriously. And this is particularly in the developing country, but across the globe in general. Mm-hmm. We need to take, take it seriously and work together and reinforce our biosecurity just to prevent these things from uh, entering in the first place. And of course, once they enter, then we have got to have uh, effective management as well. And so we can look to research for this. Now, for the banana, We've made a rod for our own back because we were so fond of the Cavendish clone 
that there's so little genetic diversity. We need to try and increase that genetic diversity. So we could do this through uh, genetic engineering. We could try and introduce genes from other plants which can confer resistance in there. That's one route, right. although we'd have to educate consumers. I don't know how fond consumers would be for a genetically modified banana. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a huge, another huge topic there. Or we can look to the natural populations of bananas and see where the resistance already exists. Now, there is resistance to tropical race four in banana, but it's not the Cavendish variety. So we right. may have to educate our consumers to move away from Cavendish and to look into other other varieties of bananas which are resistant. That's pretty much what they did back in the 50s was they found another banana. They did. Their hand was forced in that case. Now, right. there's lots of reasons why Cavendish uh, are important. And people like Cavendish, and it's going to be very difficult to get the industry to change from Cavendish. But ultimately, if the, the problem does arrive within the country, then we may have to consider things like that. Yeah, you pretty much covered the two main areas, find or increase genetic diversity or look for different varieties. That's that's right. That's pretty much it. Yes. Really, realistically, for a long-term solution, that's the way to do. It. That's yeah. the way to manage it, and yeah. that that's true for many pests and diseases because we don't want to be increasing the spraying of chemicals on if we can help it. So resistance and resistant varieties is by far the preferable rate route to go, and it's really the real most realistic one for this particular pathogen because it's soil-borne and it's so difficult to manage once it gets into the soil. So how big of a problem or how damaging is this? It's extremely damaging. I mean, when it when it was first detected in, in Taiwan, it, it again, it virtually wipes out the, the industry of growing Cavendish varieties. And because it's got this broader host range as well, it's particularly damaging. Mm. So once a plant becomes infected, it ultimately will die. And so you'll get no yield. Wow. So th this, for my listeners, hits our pocketbook. If, if we start having a banana shortages, that's going to affect the expense of them and how many are available, I would suspect. Ultimately, it could. I mean, that there's other diseases and pests of bananas, so we shouldn't take our eye off the ball. And we certainly need to concentrate on, on tropical race four. But mm -hmm. for example, in Africa, there's a banana bacterial wilt disease, which again is extremely damaging. Once the plant becomes infected, it produces no bananas. And that did have a very big impact when it was detected in Uganda and subsequently spread. And the price of bananas did subsequently increase because so many of them were infected. So why does our listening base need to be aware of this issue? And is there anything we can do from, you know, sitting here in Phoenix, Arizona? I think it, it's, a, it's a global problem. So, I mean, I work in developing countries and they have a particular problem because of the lack of infrastructure in the, in the country mm -hmm. to be able to do these things. Now, we also have an obligation in, in developing countries because these pests and diseases are on our doorsteps. Mm -hmm. We import a lot of, of our, our produce from developing countries and we need to be aware of these pest and disease problems. Now, the way your, your listeners can help is, is to bear it in mind that when we go on holiday and we're in countries and we see plants that we like, to try and resist the temptation of bringing them back mm. with us. Because this is a potential route for bringing about pest and diseases. So yeah. we, we see a plant that we like, we bring some seeds back, we bring some soil back. This is a potential route for introducing some of these pest and diseases to a country. Excellent. Well, this has been really fascinating. I, I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. 
science is all about failure, really. <laughs> that's a funny. That's a funny thing to say, but it's really about trial and error. Yeah. So it, in science, we learn a lot from our failures. So uh, we we do an experiment, and even though we're disappointed when it fails, we learn something from it. Right. So one particular time where I, I failed spectacularly <laughs> was when I was in Thailand and I was trying to do a gauze house experiment. This was a, an outside glass house, but not a glass house because it had mesh screens on it. And I was trying to grow some plants which I had inoculated with a fungus to see what happened. Uh -huh. And every time I planted these things in these pots, there was a very big mouse population that would come <laughs> into the glass house. They would climb up the concrete table legs and they'd just bite through my plants when they were seedlings and then disappear again. Uh -huh. And so I, I tried all sorts of things. I, I put down poison, I put down mouse traps, I put down sticky traps. I, I even sprinkled chili powder on the bench. And then I covered the plants with wicker baskets. Mm -hmm. The mice avoided all this, held their breath as they were walking along the bench, climbed up, gnawed a hole through my uh, wicker basket and still bit through my plants. Oh, my gosh. And in the end, the only solution I got, which was a fairly obvious one, in the end was I made a wire mesh baskets and I had to put the, those over every single plant yeah. in, in order for the plants to get to a size where they were no longer attractive to mice. One of my friends, Scott Murray, who lives over in San Diego, recently planted out 2,200 coffee plants at a farm that he helps manage. And that's where they got to. They had to dig their holes and put wire mesh in the holes because of the gophers. Yeah. Sometimes you, you just you have to think laterally and, and do something that, that will work. In this case, it was a physical barrier that I needed to do. Yeah, exactly. So what do you consider your biggest success? I'm very pleased with the PlantWise program. I've been involved in the PlantWise program right from it, from its, its start and, uh -huh. and its inception. And I'm very pleased to see how it's spread and how it's been helping farmers in the 34 countries where it's active. So uh -huh. that to me has been very pleasing. And we've, we've had some very big successes with the program. We've managed to detect pest and diseases earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very pleased with my, my contribution to that and, and to helping developing countries and their agriculture. Nice. You know, I'm, I just want to reiterate that is one of the cooler things that I've heard in 325 episodes the PlantWise program, that is amazing. I really just want to pat you on the back for your guys' work on that. Thank you. Thank you. I, sh I should also mention that we have an, an invasive species program as well, Oh, which is looking at uh, similar things, but from a slightly different angle. So mm -hmm. many of these pests and diseases are invasive. So they've come from another country. And when they land on the shores of a new country, they find conditions there ideal for them yep. to reproduce. And also they haven't brought any baggage with them. So they, they've managed to escape the natural enemies, the other insects and the fungi that were controlling them in their center of origin. They've come to a new country without those. And then often they can multiply without any interference at all. So we have an invasive species program also that we run where we're looking to try and manage these pests and diseases. And so it links in with the PlantWise program because wow. an invasive species is, is often a plant pest and a crop pest as well. Oh, yeah. We have about 10 years ago, a, a rat came over somehow from China. They're, I don't know exactly what they're called, except we call them roof rats. They significantly impact our citrus and our garden crops. And so we've got an invasion of rats here, and that's how it happened. It came, you know, they reported that it came over in a shipment. Yeah, and, and that, that is exactly how these things get into the country. And so what we're looking to do is to work with the countries, work with the, with the authorities, work with research to find sustainable ways of managing these pest diseases. Yeah. 
And one of the things that CABI has looked at in the past is, is using biocontrol. But we use a whole suite of measures to try and manage these diseases and work yeah. with the countries to find one that, that which works best for them. Yeah. Well, the, you know, it sounds like you're, you're using IPM. Integrated pest management. Yes, that's, that's, the, that's the thrust of what we do. Yes. And also, we particularly have expertise in, in aspects of biocontrol. In fact, that's where I started my career in the first place was biocontrol. So looking for organisms that come from the center of origin, come from where that organism or pest came from, which are, are controlling it in that country, doing the, the appropriate research to make sure they're safe and they're host-specific, and then introducing those into the new country. And ultimately, that gives a very good, long-term, sustainable way of managing the pests. Perfect. So what drives you? I think what, what I enjoy about science is the discovery aspect. Mm. I think that's what first drew me into science and why I was interested, is if you discover something new and you're the first person to know about it, that's kind of cool. So it's that, that, it's that discovery aspect of it w which drives me. And also, as I said, through the PlantWise program, the fact that I, I feel I'm doing something productive and we're actually applying science so people can use it. Yeah. So it's not blue sky research. We're not looking at molecular or molecular organisms and how things function. We're actually trying to apply science and doing something practical with it in the real world. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, I, I thought about this one, and I'm going to go back to my plant pathology roots. Not all of your your listeners will be plant pathologists, but maybe after listening to this, I, I might have interested in a few to get yeah. into the field. And so one, a very good, it's a textbook, but also it's quite a good read, is Plant Pathology by George Agrios. It's an extremely good textbook and an extremely good introduction into plant pathology. Interesting. So I took a plant biology class in my undergraduate work at Arizona State University in 2004. Three, and I think that's the book we used. I may have that even on the shelf. I'm sure it is. I think it's on about the fifth edition now. So yeah. it's a very good textbook. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I don't think I have anything too profound, but as I said, science is all about failure in many respects. So it's it's to keep trying. So if, if it's something that you enjoy doing or, or something that you want to do, you must keep persevering and seeing it through. Because often when we fail, we actually learn something and we might learn something that we didn't even know and maybe even more interesting than the thing that we were trying to find out. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Robert. It's been a pleasure. How can our listeners get a hold of Cabby, find out more about PlantWise? Well, we, we have websites which are accessible. So you could obviously go straight into Google and type in PlantWise or Cabby. Or you can, in fact, find us directly by www.plantwise.org. That's O-R-G or www.cabby.org. So those are our two websites. And there you should find lots of information about what Cabby does because we're quite a diverse organization and more specifically about the PlantWise program. Beautiful. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash plantwise. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Popular fertilizer for organic farmers is fish poop. And aquaponic systems use this natural resource to help create nutrient-dense growing mediums for healthy plants. Let us teach you how in a few easy steps. Just text GROWFISH to 33444 
or visit IWantToGrowFish.com and you will receive our free webinar on how to grow your own fish-powered garden. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.